One, two. Uh, one, two. Uh, one, two. Uh, yeah. Stepped into the scene in 2015, not knowing that we could make it. Motivated with the dream, they try to throw us to the crumb side. We gamers over here, yeah. Steady on a mission, but with no competition. They say kids smooth is the best spot, representing the best box. Halo gifts, but that's the well. So much for taking them shots. Check moves, got the platinum dog. How many trophies you got? Blongo find the answers, whether you like it or not. The game and God built a squad of strong-minded individuals. A diverse collection to deliver news that's monumental. Wanna be a guest dog? You gotta make a decision. Jimmy, I have you in the state of decay walking in this division it's a dark day in hell yeah before you see sunshine if you can't hear me play or go and press rewind this is the season when i thirst i drink wine best to get yours money because i'ma get mine let's play a little game i can show you my weapon will uh let's play a little game i can show you my weapon will uh Let's play a little game, I can show you my weapon, Will. Catch you slipping, I promise I'll show you how I still feel. Let's play a little game, I can show you my weapon, Will. Yo, this is the Weapon Will Podcast, featuring Black Bomb, Kid Smooth, The Best Spot, Jimmy J Mega Games, Jack Moose hey, Jack. And your host, hey, how's it going? What's up, Kenneth? Games HDR. Hey. Gonna start in one second. I got my camera on, so you can you can leave video on if you want. It's up to you. Yeah. You don't have to. You could also just be a an icon talking to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I am so used to doing it this way. You know, this is pretty much how we do it every time. Okay, cool. And I'm not I'm not even camera ready. Gotta put your makeup on. I get hey, it. All of that. All of that. You know. Gotta put your face on. Exactly. Uh, so we are live already. Uh, let me just cool. bring up podcast and everything. What's going on, everybody? Um, let me know if y'all could hear us. Let me know if uh, you could hear Jason. Hello. Hello, everybody. It's a quick mic check. Mic check. One, two, one, two. Sure. Um, okay. Yeah. Everybody can uh, hear you. Audio cool. is loud and clear. Okay. Cool. So how you been, Jason? I've been okay. Uh, mm. About to launch a book. So that's exciting. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. And I uh, hope you've been staying out yeah. of trouble on, on Twitter lately. No, of course not. I, I oh, can't, can't seem to. Uh, I, I've noticed. I've noticed. We're going to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, every every once in a while, I like to uh, tweet something that like gives me a bunch of new people to block because it's just very satisfying to like block oh, people man. on Twitter. So we can we can talk about that. Yeah, we're definitely going to do that. We're definitely going to do that. So um, yeah, let me just address the people real quick. So uh, listen, appreciate all y'all for coming out. Uh, please hit the like button as soon as y'all get in here. Help to support the podcast going to be speaking to jason for about the first hour um we're going to talk about his new book um talk about some gaming topics and discussions and uh going to ask him some questions um that the uh weapon will patreon uh viewers 
have submitted if we have time for that. So that's what we're going to get into. But this is Weapon Will Podcast, episode 279. Uh, we are on SoundCloud, Google Play, and uh, iTunes. So make sure uh, you go support those platforms if, if that's your preference. Uh, like I said, make sure you hit the like button. Check out the Weapon Will Patreon. And uh, if you support the Patreon or become a member of the channel, you will get access to the Discord. And uh, if you want a video, you want to be your gameplay videos to be playing during the podcast, just send me an email uh, to weaponwheelpress at gmail.com and I will make sure your video gets featured. Okay. So, Jason, we're going to talk about gaming stuff in your book. But first, I, I need to know outside of gaming, how do you feel about your Jets? Because listen, I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm not a Jets fan, but I, I watch the Jets game and I uh. games, and I know that the fan base has been very depressed for what the last two decades at least. Yeah, well, four decades since like 1969 when when we won the Super. Last time we won the Super Bowl was the same year that man landed on the moon. <laughs> but y'all had dad, some good. <laughs> y'all had some good years since then, like uh, you know, with Chad Pennington and Mark Sanchez, they had some good years. Yeah, that's true. The last, like, the, the big playoff success of, like, my generation was really, like, Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez, AFC Championship, um, beating the Patriots in the AFC Divisional game in 2010. That was, like, the highlight of my my life as a Jets fan, um, which is kind of sad. It's like, here are the Patriots of six Super Bowls, and the Jets won claim to, like, to successes, beating them once in the playoffs. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm optimistic. I like their draft. Um, I like their current coaching and front office setup, which I haven't been able to say for a long time. Like I haven't right. really been like Adam Gase is our last coach. And before that, Todd Bowles, who like mm -hmm. you could, you could get a little excited about his defense, but they never really had like a really exciting coach since Rex Ryan really until now with Robert Sala. I think that's how we pronounce Sala. Um, yeah. And he's really exciting for uh, a bunch of reasons. He like Good seems like he coach. has this energy. Yeah, great yeah. defensive coach. He like brings this energy and charisma to the team. And I was a little bit like, oh man, couldn't they just like stick with Darnold and trade down from number two? But instead, mm -hmm. they went with Zach Wilson. And um, I, I mean, I can see them like making it work. And then I really liked what they did around him because they drafted, they traded up to get a nice uh, offensive lineman and then they got a couple of steals at wide out and running back. So I'm pretty excited um, from, from what I've seen in the off season so far, but like that happens a lot as a Jets fan, you get excited about the off season mm -hmm. and then it's like, all right, we're going seven, nine again. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you a Giants fan? I'm actually an Eagles fan. I know it mm. sounds crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm an Eagles Are you fan. In Brooklyn? I, you know, Are you a Brooklyn yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. Fan? I'm Brooklyn. I'm from New York. <laughs> I'm Brooklyn. Yeah, but I just, I, you know, I just grew up an Eagles fan for for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, I was a I was a Giants fan when they paid the pay, played the Patriots though. That's the only time I'm a Giants fan. <laughs> yeah, that's so Super Bowl reason too. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the Eagles are kind of a mess too, but, uh, yep. but mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, things things fell apart within a couple of years. I mean Zach Wilson. I'm not like I don't think he's going to be any worse than Sam Darnold and I don't think Sam Darnold was bad I just think it was how the Jets supported him or or didn't support Darnold that and that's how I think they'll just support Zach Wilson and put the right pieces around him more than they did with Sam Darnold so I think they'll yeah, have better success yeah 
Well, that's the big thing is that Joe Douglas, who's the new GM of the Jets, I believe, isn't he a former Eagles guy too? Wasn't he on the Eagles at some point? He might um, have been. I think he, I think he was involved with the Eagles front office at some point. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, seems like a super with it guy who like knows how to build a team. And I've been happy with all of his moves so far, even like trading um, Jamal Adams, which seemed like, Oh my God, you're going to trade our one superstar, like our best player. But like it, mm-hmm. it worked out well because they didn't need to keep him around like just to, to fail, just to tank. So yeah, I, I I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess about the jets as, as always. And then the season, starts and it's like okay great <laughs> more failures more coaches getting fired great 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 but uh I, I, I but hey that's what sports that's mm-hmm. what gambling is for that's what sports betting is for <laughs> exactly i wish y'all the best wish y'all the best so thank you thank you wh- what uh what games are you playing right now i'm playing returnal it's funny that there's returnal footage because i've been playing that this weekend that's what um, i've been playing I uh, I got so frustrated this afternoon because I was in the middle of a run and my game crashed. And when you mm. crash, there's no like the progress is just gone. Like there's no way to to there's no autosave. There's no like keeping track of your progress when you come back or anything. Like, um, yeah, really frustrating. But I like it. Other than that, the controller, the PS5 controller, is still blowing my mind. I've been using it for a while now, and it still never fails to just like blow my mind. It's so interesting because I've been live streaming it. I'm I'm up to the fifth biome right now, and I, I nice. have I, I've had several friends who have posted you know the game crashing on them, and I've been playing and I haven't had one crash. So it, it seems like it's completely luck of the draw and very random. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if your game crashes or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. I don't know. I haven't been playing much. I'm still like up to the first boss, so um, not super far in. But uh, but yeah, I really like the game. I really like the way it reminds me of Control in a lot of ways. Like um, when I stumble upon that house in the first biome, um, mm-hmm. I don't I, I I don't know anything about the story or the mysteries or anything like that. But it feels very like a combination of like the third person gameplay and the shooting and the the movement, and then also like seeing these mysterious, um, weird metaphorical things that shouldn't actually be there it just it's very reminiscent of control like a roguelike control which i think is really cool right right i'm, I'm really enjoying it it's a lot of fun i'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot right ask you this yeah. question and it, it doesn't have to be based on any insider knowledge you have but if you do you know you could share it if you want <laughs> if do you think right if you had to bet does PlayStation acquire Housemark before Housemark releases their next game? <laughs> I, I I have no idea. Um, I actually I thought they were gonna wind up trying to acquire Bluepoint because that seemed like uh, the best fit for them. They've been working with Bluepoint for a while, but mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet. I don't know. Um, maybe like the, the problem is that like unless there's a competing offer, these big publishers don't have a ton of incentive to like make make purchases especially when you're sony and you don't have quite the the war chest of money that microsoft does um sony is a lot smaller and a lot poorer than microsoft is microsoft is worth like a trillion dollars or something Mm -hmm. like that something something absurd um and i think that uh that that unless microsoft were to come in and say hey we want to purchase housemark and then sony would have to make an offer to keep them around like to keep working with them um I think yeah. that's because that that's what happened um, with uh, with um, Respawn is that uh, EA had to purchase them because Nexon came in and made an offer. The Korean publisher Nexon came in and made an offer and EA had first right of refusal so they could match it. And they were just kind of like begrudgingly like, oh, f- fine, I guess fine. we have to do this. 
Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Sony likes Sony PlayStation definitely likes they likes to date and like milk the cow. And if they don't have <laughs> to buy the cow, they're going to use you as long as possible until you, until you force their hand. But <laughs> it's like wouldn't it benefit them to like buy early, like invest early before, you know, the uh you know, before the actual studio has more clout, maybe they're worth more. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know how much cash flow like Sony actually has, and how much how much they're in a position to actually be making these big purchases. They did make a huge purchase in Insomniac a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. who knows who knows what they can still afford. I don't know. But yeah, I have no inside info or anything. Um, okay. These these studio political machinations are uh, are interesting, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, cool. So let, let's get to your get to your book. So press reset. Yeah. Ruin and Recovery in the Video Game Industry. So this is your second book. Mm-hmm. And your first book was the pretty much, if you had to summarize it, the topic would be um, why video games are hard to make. You would say that's the yeah. summary of your first book. And Perfect. This you one, nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've been doing my reading. I've been doing a little reading. <laughs> you know? uh, and I've done, uh, I've read a few chapters of, the, of this uh, new, new book. You know, thank you for giving Excellent. me a copy. Um, of course. And what you describe this second book to be is why it's so hard to maintain uh, job security in the video game industry and what and what and the stories behind those people in the video game industry. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, so press you said, so it comes out May 11th, I should say. Um, so yeah. next Tuesday, although people can pre-order it now wherever they want. Just wanted to, mm-hmm. to, to set the frame there, set the context there. Right. Um, so why did you make the change? Like you jumped from your first book that was like developing video games. Why did you feel the need to tell the stories about the people and the personal things that they were going through around the development? Yeah, well, so that actually it came out of um, reporting. So essentially what happened was I finished my first book, Blood, Sweat and Pixels. Um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I actually pursued like a false lead for a while and was trying to trying to do something else. I, I was working on something else entirely. It wasn't working. So I switched course kind of like it was like a like video game development. Like, excuse me, mm-hmm. what's it? <laughs> Um, it was Pleasure. like like a classic video game development story where like you have to reboot uh, in the middle of game development. So um, yeah, like a year in, I was like, okay, what do I want to do? And I um, I was thinking about what like what sort of overall theme because I knew I wanted to do something that was like pegged to some sort of overall theme, still based on reporting, like going out and talking to people about their stories, but some overarching theme. And I landed on the idea. I think the first story that I knew I wanted to talk about was 38 Studios and what happened with former Red Sox pitcher Kurt Schilling and his uh his attempt to take on World of Warcraft and get super rich in the process. And mm-hmm. that story was so wild that I was like, okay, why don't I take that and talk to some people who work there and report from there and then um and then put together a book that is like a bunch of different stories like that of like studios imploding and kind of try to figure out how they all tie together and why this is such a big problem in the video games industry why it's so common and then also how it can be fixed and so the book explores all of that stuff so the way it's structured is if you read my last book if people out there read my last book bloodstone and pixels basically each chapter is about the making of a different game so like Mm -hmm. starts off with pillars of eternity and then uncharted 4 and does a whole bunch of different games and it's like some some of the games came out and were successful some of the games were not so successful or didn't come out like star wars 1313 
But essentially, they were all just like individual standalone stories where it's like this game was made, didn't get made, move on to the next chapter. And I very intentionally wrote that book in a way where you could like read any chapter you wanted in any order. Um, with this book, I knew I wanted it to be a little bit different and I wanted it to tell one of more of an overarching story, um, as a whole about the video game industry and the problems it faces and how those problems can be fixed. So I decided I was going to start with, um, with Warren Spector, who is this legendary game designer, best known for Deus Ex and like, um, essentially creating the immersive sim. Um, his games like Ultima Underworld and System Shock went on to inspire tons, tons more games. Um, everything from like uh, Skyrim and Fallout to like Breath of the Wild to like the more obvious ones like Bioshock and Prey and Dishonored and so on and so on. Um, and then I kind of followed his lineage and like did did all these other stories of like Irrational and 2K Marin and 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 found some really interesting people at those studios and talked to them and tried to tell their stories and try to figure out like, OK, what happens to you when your game studio shuts down and like, how does it make you feel? And then how do you recover from that? Because that's like mm-hmm. a really important part of the conversation is recovery recovery from this so it's not all just like bleak stuff like like oh my god my studio shut down this is horrible this is this is suffering there's also a lot of like optimism and hope and like people finding salvation afterwards and yeah so that's the book i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's very much about um like the problems that the games industry has but it's also about um how people uh, uh, made it out and did cool things and then it's also about how things can be fixed and i think like one of the things that people will find really interesting about it is that there's a lot of just fascinating stories in there. Um, like some people like 38 Studios. Some people might know that Kurt Schilling made this studio and ran it into the ground, but they might not know all the details <laughs> and the details are pretty wild. And then they might also not know that um, as part of that whole process, 38 Studios uh, bought a studio called Big Huge Games in Maryland. They went on to get, make a game called Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. And Big yep. Huge Games had its own whole story around that saga and like was essentially rescued from death and then died again. And so that story is also wild and mind-blowing. And I think a lot of people will, will read this book and learn some things that they didn't know before about the video game industry and yeah, I think I think it'll be <laughs> pretty yeah. pretty shocking and resonant. Yeah, the book people. is very is is definitely interesting with the amount of detail that you put in it. I mean, there's as you said, you talk about some individuals that had part in developing games like Deus Ex, Bioshock, XCOM, Dead Space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what what would you say was like the most interesting uh, story to do like research on and write about? Yeah, yeah, that big huge games one was really fascinating. Um, I I didn't know anything. I I have a chapter in there about Mythic, which is a studio behind a bunch of old online games like Warhammer Online and Dark Age of Camelot. Um, but also they made the game Dungeon Keeper, like the mobile Dungeon Keeper that came out a few years ago and was like widely just criticized and slammed by people on the internet. And that was a really fascinating story because it's like very much a story of corporate influences and EA saying, hey, you need to do this. Um, but part of it for me, a large part of what I really like about this book and what I think will really like help it resonate with people is that I found a lot of just people that I didn't know before and followed their stories and spent a mm-hmm. lot of time talking to them. Um, people like Forrest Dowling, who was at Irrational Games and helped work on Bioshock Infinite. And then after Irrational Games shut down, went on to start his own studio. And so I spent a lot of time talking to him and like 
telling his story, it's really, really interesting. He's just a fascinating guy. Um, or people like Zach Mumbach, who is this guy uh, that is one of the most fascinating people I met in games, um, who like essentially spent his uh, almost his entire career in games at EA, and he spent it like putting in overtime constantly. Like spent, he would never leave the office because he thought, okay, this is how I get ahead. Like. I want to be, he would say, I want to be Kobe Bryant. And like, just like the NBA, everybody here is gunning for your job. And like, everybody wants to do this. Everybody wants to be in games. So the way that I do this is the way that I become Kobe Bryant is by putting in every single hour I can to do this work. But at a certain point, he started realizing, wait a minute, Kobe Bryant like gets paid $20 million a year. And meanwhile, I'm coming in every day working my ass off. And the the people who are actually making millions of dollars are like the executives like Andrew Wilson working next to me. And they're like leaving at 5 p.m. every night. So right. it's kind of like it's it's very reflective of some of the some of the, some of the messed up things in this industry. That's yeah. It's it, The book is like real insightful. Now, you you provide a lot of details in these books. You talk to a, a lot of developers and, and people behind the scenes. I got to you're already somewhat of a hated guy, Jason, right? Um, on, <laughs> on the, on the internet. Do you get any like pushback um, from people in the industry uh, because you're telling all, all these stories? I got to think there's got to be some people who don't want you to tell these stories. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I think that, that, uh, uh, um, first of all, I think that the people who hate me, um, anyone who hates someone they've never met just is just treating that person like a, like a fictional character. And so it doesn't really bother me if like mm -hmm. some chud on the internet is hates me because I blocked him on Twitter for like calling <laughs> me, a, 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 a like a, a cuck or something like that. Um, so I really don't care about that. Um, when people hate me who I've actually met and interact with me, that's another thing. But with the games industry, what's really important to me is being hated by the right people, by by the people that that I mean should hate me because it's really important for journalism to be adversarial some of the time, not all the time, but at least some of the time. And it's really important for powerful people in games to know and in any industry to know that like there are people out there who are watching and, and observing and informing and reporting. Um, so like if 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 the CEO of big video game publisher uh, is doesn't like the way that I report, that's probably a good thing. That's probably a healthy thing. Like that's how mm -hmm. people are, are kept accountable. Powerful people are kept accountable. And that's the job of a reporter essentially is to do that. Um, to answer your question directly. Yeah. I mean, there were some people who definitely declined to comment for this book. Um, just like they've declined to comment on various articles and stories that I've reported. So yeah, not shocking. And, uh, and I'm sure that the, there are people out there who will not be super thrilled about the publication of this book, but Hey, it happens. Okay. Okay. Um, so I want to move on to talk about crunch. Good old crunch. Hot topic. Yeah. So you're known for reporting on crunch um, regarding, you know, different studios, uh, CDPR, Naughty Dog, and you've gotten a lot of hate for, for, from that, um, from the fan base, seemingly from uh, some of the heads of studios. And... I've read a lot of things of because I've never understood like, OK, I just see it as you doing your job. I'm like, Jason's a reporter. What, what, are, what are these, you know, these fans mad at exactly? Right. So <laughs> I, I, I try to look into it just to be objective and try to see why are why are they so bad, mad at Jason? So what I've gotten and I want, of course, I want you to respond to this is 
People say that you take some type of satisfaction in reporting negative stories because you like enjoy exposing these studios and they think it's for your own personal interest because this is like material you can use when writing your books. So they think you feed off this negativity for one and they think that you're just using it for, you know, for your own personal gain. What would you say to that? I mean, well, the books thing is silly. There's nothing about any of those companies in this book there's nothing about naughty dog or cd project red or any of the other companies i've written about um in regards to crunch um i guess ea is in there but but that's a big company um yeah i mean i think that there are a couple of things here right i think one of the things that is probably i mean based on what i've seen from from weapon wheel fans and and from even some of the weapon wheel hosts i think there's a lot of console fanboyism um in this community and Mm -hmm that uh, to be honest that drives me nuts is like like it's one thing i i get tribalism like i'm a jets fan we were just talking about that i get rooting for something to succeed but the way that the console fanboys take it is that they take it to such an extreme that like anybody going so far as to report negative news about their favorite company is just seen as an enemy and like a large chunk i would say of of my block list of probably the people who quote unquote hate me are either sony fanboys or x Xbox fanboys um and uh especially recently sony fanboys but uh <laughs> but yeah it's it's interesting it's like I, and i think uh, there's a ton of that a lot of the the whole mentality there is like oh my god like i can't believe that there's negative news coming out about naughty dog now i'm gonna lose all of the battles i'm fighting on internet forums about how playstation is the best and xbox is the worst and i really think that, that that's what drives a lot of this because any normal like empathetic human being would look at something like that and be like oh my god like of course this needs to be talked about so hopefully they can they can change things for the better and hopefully they can like they can they can go about finding ways where they don't have to like work themselves to death to make these games um i think part of it is also there's a fear that like if a company like naughty dog were to stop working the way that it works then maybe you wouldn't get games as as polished as naughty dog games and to that i would say i don't think any game is worth um people losing their families and getting divorces Mm -hmm. and and just driving themselves into the ground for that game and and if you're the type of person who would say no i'd rather have these games that are highly polished than i would people be be treated normally then uh i would say to you fuck off because i really don't want so you care about the people you care about the people behind the games you genuinely care about them I would sacrifice the entire video game industry if it meant like like making people have jobs where they are secure and safe and happy and, oh, and don't have to. Like, you a better is, person than me. You a better. These games look, is good. I ain't gonna lie to you. These games is good. The games are great. Look, uh, there's. I, I don't think that we need to go that far. I think there are ways for games to be made in sustainable, healthy ways. And in fact, one of the things that I wish I had done a little bit more in my first book, Blood, Sword, and Pixels, is explore that stuff. And so that's something that I tried to do in this book is explore a lot of like more sustainable things. And at the end, I have a chapter at the end of Press Reset about like um, the the solutions to some of the problems that I propose. Um, everything from like remote work, which is something that has become suddenly very relevant to um, unionization, to um, outsourcing, a lot of different stuff that I explore in there. But point being that like, I I don't think we're going to need to like chop off the head of the entire video game industry. Um, But I do think that like, 
Like if you look around at games, even even if you look at it from even if you say, you know what, I don't I'm a gamer. I don't give a shit about people. I mean, first of all, I think there's something wrong with you if that's the case. But even I've if said you that say a few that, times. even if you say that one of the one of the reasons that we get games all the time that are so full of bugs and full of unoriginal ideas and just full of issues is because so much of the veteran talent in the video game industry has burnt out. Mm -hmm. um, I saw a stat the other day that was like someone was looking, was counting up all the job postings on a website for games industry jobs. And it was like like 10 times as many of the job listings were for senior staff as opposed to junior. And the reason is because senior people just burn out of the video game industry. Like you work 10 years in the games and you're like, I can't do this anymore. The pay is low. The hours are too long. Um, I, I'm, it's volatile. And like I could get laid off at any time. And it just sucks. And as a result of that, you're losing so much established knowledge and talent. And um, of course, you're going to get crummier games as a result. So like caring about the people means caring about the games because you're not going to get good products. Like you can brute force your way into a naughty game, a naughty dog game or two. But like at a certain point, you're you're going to have diminishing returns. And I think Cyberpunk is a good example of that. It's like once you lose a lot of talent, you burn people into the ground, they start making more and more mistakes, the more they're crunching. Um, it's just like like solving some of these problems would mean better games. So, hey, there you mm. go. There's your answer. So I, I, <laughs> I, so I got to push back a little bit because, right, there are some devs um, such as like uh, David. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. David. Jaffe? Uh, well, no, I'm going to get to him later. But David D. Oh. Dine, he's he's actually from Asobo Studios. I, th I believe they make a they made a Plague's Tale. Um, and okay. one of the Days Gone developers, it was, it was either Jeff Ross or John Garvin. They they've kind of said pretty much straight up that crunch is kind of necessary when it comes to, to you know developing these games, especially finishing them on time. It's kind of unavoidable. There's no way around it. Yeah, I mean that's what a manager would say for sure because oh, they're the man. people who are managing things. Look, crunch, crunch. There's a big difference between hey, we have two weeks to finish this game. Let's all work nights and weekends for the next two weeks and get it out the door. I don't think you would find many people who would object to that. I mean, I crunch in my life. Like I work overtime. It happens. You work nights and weekends. Like it's not a big deal if you have to do it every once in a while. The problem in the games industry is two problems, really. One is that it's often unpaid because people are on salaries. So they're not getting paid for their overtime work. They're not getting hourly wages. And two is that it lasts for months. Like it's crunch in the video game industry is called crunch. And it is talked about so often because it lasts for as long as it does. But I also want to make another point here, which is that, yes, I've talked a lot about crunch, and I think it's a real issue that needs to be talked about and discussed. But Press Reset, my new book, is not about crunch. It's about volatility. And I think that, more than crunch, is one of the reasons that people are burning out so much out of games. Because the, the thought that like even if you make a giant success like Bioshock Infinite... Um, that your studio could suddenly shut down a year later and you'd be left stranded in Boston and like not have any other game studios to go to and just be totally screwed. Like you have to move across the country if you want a new job in games. That fundamentally is what burns a lot more people out than Crunch. And then Crunch, you combine all these things, of course. They're all factors. But it's the volatility that is a way bigger problem and something that needs to be addressed like ASAP. Like you see every single year, it's like Bobby Kotick is receiving a $20 million bonus while laying a thousand mm -hmm. people off this year it's like this happens all the time and the games industry is making more money than it's ever made it's like made i think the last stat i saw was 180 billion dollars but people just can't like they can't seem to keep people around they can't seem to stop doing layoffs and shutdowns that to me is a way bigger issue than crunch to be honest so 
And this is uh, this ties into one of the questions that um, one of my patron viewers, uh, uh, patron supporters asked um, unions in, in the gaming industry. Uh, unions seemingly would be a good answer to, you know, a lot of the grievances that developers have. What exactly is the problem with, I guess, establishing unions in the gaming industry and have like what are some of the developers that you've talked to said uh, about having a union um, if they've desired any, uh, you know, interest in having that at all? Yeah, a lot of people want it. Um, there was just a survey, a GDC survey that came out that found that 51% of game developers want a union. I think last year it was 54%, so around that range. And then another like 20-something percent say maybe, like maybe they want a union. They're not sure yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I think unionization is is inevitable. Um, I think it's going to happen in some form or another, or another. I think the biggest problem, honestly, is that like like to get towards bigger picture things here is that the U.S. has just become very um, hostile to unions over the past 20 years, especially under Republican administrations. There's been a lot of like dismantling of labor laws and regulations that help protect unions, and unions are seen as very weak. There's a lot of anti-union propaganda, as we saw with Amazon and Alabama. So there's a lot of, a lot of broader problems here at work when it comes to unionization. Um, the other problem is that like practically it's hard for people to know where do you even start? Like, do we do we organize as a as a as a company? Do we, hey, we're Blizzard, we're organizing. Do people say, hey, we're all the artists, we're gonna organize together as artists, we're all the QA people, we're gonna start a QA union. It's not really clear, and there are no real easy answers. So yeah, of course, it's gonna be super tough for that sort of thing to to start. Um, and I think it has to start somewhere. I think at some point in the next five, 10 years, we'll see the first domino fall. Um, but yeah, it's it's very difficult, practically speaking and logistically speaking, to to make it happen. And like, there's always a fear that if you're found like trying to unionize, that you're gonna get fired. And we've seen that happen many times in the tech world, where there's like clearly retaliatory uh, firings. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, not not an easy thing to get off the ground. Because I look at it as like, for example, you could relate it to the NFL, where. If you want to like if the players wanted to stand up to the NFL, even though like uh, these uh, players have, you know, uh, representation and every and everything mm -hmm. like that in the NFL PA League or whatever it is. Right. It's easy to get, for example, like the older players who have already collected like 10 years, you know, of checks and million dollars. They already paid and everything like that. But the younger players, the rookies who are this is their first chance in the NFL, their first chance to making some real money. Um, it's the same. I would imagine it's the same thing with a lot of the new um, people who are in the games industry versus like the senior senior people. It might be easier for the seniors to stand up, I, I, I would think, again, you know, versus the, the younger people who don't really have a voice. I actually think they might have the opposite problem. I think that really? like younger people, yeah, I think people in their 20s these days have just are just like tend to skew more towards the left and more towards like pro labor and pro union and um um, as opposed to more senior people, I mean, you you said it yourself, like whoever it was talking about how crunch is inevitable. Oftentimes you hear that from the older people. Oftentimes it's older people who have been, if people last in the video game industry and they make it for 20 years or so and they have these like entrenched positions, they don't want to give that up because they might be getting a nice paycheck. They might be making six figures. They might be getting an expo a nice bonus every so often. And those are the people who don't want to risk that. Unlike the NFL, they don't have like bank accounts with $20 million in it. They're, they're just like living comfortably right now on their current wages. They might not have massive, massive checkings accounts. Um, 
but yeah, I actually think it's the younger folks who are pushing for unionization in more profound ways than the older folks who like are very much, I mean, I'm, I'm 34. So I've been, I've been doing in my field, I've been doing media for a long time. Um, and even for me, I found it like, like I, I look around sometimes and say, um, when I was at Kotaku, I would say things or do things and I would be like, well, that's how it's always been done. It's very easy to fall into that trap of like, like how you know it is how it should be done. And sometimes it takes younger people to be like, actually, wait a minute, you're not doing this smartly or efficiently or like maybe just because it's how it's been done doesn't mean that's how it should be done. And it's easier for older folks like me to be stubborn about it. And and like I've certainly like made mistakes and, and been like, wait a minute, uh, uh, afterwards, like thought, oh, wait, actually, the younger folks had a point there. Um, and so I think it's easy to fall into that trap and that 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 um, as a senior person, as someone who's been doing it for longer, for 10 plus years, 10, 20 years, um, it's easy to say things like, oh, yeah, you can't make games without crunch. And yeah, I mean, mm. who knows if that's really the case. Okay. Now, layoffs. You had mentioned layoffs uh, already, right? Um, you talk about, obviously, you talk about it in this book. Um, yep. Now, the way I would say, you know, I, I partially look at it, and a lot of people look at layoffs um, for individuals from certain studios, is that the sentiment that people have is they'll be all right, right? If If you've worked at a certain studio and, like, they're they're a prolific enough and they have an, a, enough you know recognition in the industry for example let's say you worked at naughty dog and you mm -hmm. know you get laid off the what people think is oh well they worked at naughty dog you know they have that on their resume they're not in that bad of of, of shape right another another studio will hire them it shouldn't be that hard for them to find another job would, would you say that's like a very incorrect way like that's a incorrect thing of way of looking at it no, I think to some extent that's true. Um, I think there are a couple of issues, though, that come up. One is that um, uh, a lot of studios these days are hiring on contracts, and so like they'll 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 hire you, but it'll be a temporary thing, and they won't give you health insurance or like any other perks. And that's always shitty. It's always shitty to get laid off from a full time like gig and be see that your only options are are contracting after that. That really really sucks. But here's the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that if I get laid off from Naughty Dog. And there are maybe like, I don't know, a dozen other AAA studios in Los Angeles where Naughty Dog is based. And I apply for all of them and none of them are hiring my position at the moment. Let's say I'm a technical art. Well, technical artists, you're always going to get hired. Let's say I'm a designer, a gameplay designer, and none of them need a gameplay designer right now. But hey, who does need a gameplay designer? Um, uh, uh, Avalanche Studios in New York City. Oh, mm -hmm. man, if I want that job, I can move 3,000 miles. If I have a family, let's say I'm 35, I got two kids who are in school in Los Angeles, and there's no way in hell I'm pulling them out just for me to go get another job in New York, uh, and which might also be temporary and might force me to move to Seattle and move to Europe or whatever um, after I get laid off there. Then I'm like, man, I can't be doing this. I should just go find another industry. And that's how people leave is like that churn. That's how that churn happens. And that's the biggest thing, right? Is that like, if, if you're laid off, it might not be too tough to find another job. If you got experience, if you're in like a demand, a high in demand position, but where will that job be? And that's the biggest difference between like the video game industry and Hollywood is that Hollywood is all based in one city for the most part. Um, yeah. You can bounce around between jobs there and not have a problem. You don't have to move and uproot your whole life every time you you need a new job. 
Um, and in games, it's such a big problem because not everybody can do that. And that's why so many people in games are like in their 20s is because when you're in your 20s, that's when you can do that. When you get older, when you have kids, you can't do that. And yeah, it really sucks. And so, yeah, so that's the way people should be thinking about it. They might be thinking, okay, they'll be fine. And that's true to some extent. But like, will they be fine and have to move 3,000 miles for their next job? And will they instead decide, fuck it, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to quit and go into to to i don't know banking because that's stable yeah i mean i look as a gamer i look at the gaming industry and the developers is like i don't envy your job at all like i i Mm -hmm. see way more downside to being a developer than an upside i mean the stress the the depression i'm like why i don't you you must really have to love what you do to be a game developer it you know because yep. it's the it's internet, not glitz the internet and fanboys going after you on twitter yeah yeah like you develop a game for you know let's say four or five years and you could have wasted four or five years of your life because the internet might hate the game or the game might you know be mismanaged and it comes out terrible like i, I would hate that yep. for one project waste five years of my life I, the, the the job has way more downside <laughs> i i could only appreciate <laughs> the people who do it yeah uh, yep yep yeah. yep yeah, um, I mean, I would never work in, in the video game industry. And yeah, I mean, I'm always fascinated by people that do. And some people like for some for a lot of people, it's like they really just love it. And obviously, there are tons of people who would kill to work in games because they love video games and love the idea of like and it's a fun job. It's like at the end of the day, you do get to work on games all day, which it can be a lot of hours. But the the work is almost is usually going to be satisfying and like like challenging and interesting work. Um, but yeah, the problem is that as a result, I mean, a large, a large part of the video game industry's problems is the result is the, that it's the result of that whole supply and demand thing, which is that there's this, uh, endless line of people who would love to get into the video game industry. So, uh, what do we need to keep all these people around? And that's, those are the kinds of conversations that the, the, the managers and the executives with their, their fat checks have, which is, mm-hmm. uh, who cares? Like, let's let's let some senior people leave and bring in some new people at half the salary who who would kill to be here and will be happily working uh, nights and weekends because they're just thrilled to be here. And exactly. yeah, that's that's the main reason that the games industry skews so young. Question exactly. for yeah, question for Jason. Yeah, um, we got you, a crowd here now. What's up, guys? Do you think um, that's the reason why there's like more of a like? Um, growth of like independent because i'm seeing a lot of even senior guys you know go to independent route that used to work for like big uh studios and whatnot making like uh-huh. big play games and now they're like on like independent work what is your take on that yeah 100 percent. and there's actually a lot of that sort of thing in press reset in my new book um there's because uh, at a certain point it's like why don't i just work for myself why am i excuse me why am I, uh, why am I, why am I put, slaving away? Like, why, why am I putting in my nights and weekends and working endless hours just so Bobby Kotick can, can buy a bigger yacht? Like, if I'm going to do this anyway, why don't I go do it for myself and see what happens? And the other thing is that, like, like, uh, once you've been through a studio shutdown, you're kind of like, well, going indie is a risk and it could be volatile, but hey, doing this AAA thing is also clearly volatile. Um, and so one of the chapters in the book, I mentioned before a guy named Forrest Dowling, who's one of the more fascinating developers I met. Um, he was at Irrational Games, which made Bioshock and then Bioshock Infinite, kind of a seminal studio. Um, and they shut down in 2014. And after that, he was like, he was kind of saying what you were saying, um, BG, is that he was saying like, 
all right, I've worked at Irrational Games. I got all these games on my resume. For me, it's not really a matter of will I get a job? It's a matter of what do I want? Where do I want to work next? And for him, instead of moving across the country, um, he decided, I want to stay in Boston. I want to try to do the indie thing. And he wound up starting the studio with a bunch of other ex-irrational people called The Molasses Flood. And they went on to make a game called The Flame in the Flood. And then another game called uh, Drake Hollow, which just came out last year. Cool game. Cool, like, multiplayer game. Um, and, yeah, he they wound up, like, making it work. And a lot of people have been able to do that, which is really cool to see. Like, the indie world has changed everything and made it so some of these people can can actually have more sustainable careers. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's super risky, but everything in this industry yeah. is a risk anyway so why not do it yeah it's, it's definitely there an avenue that more of them are exploring um good for them so i want to switch gears to uh talk about cyberpunk yeah good old cyberpunk my audience knows I, i've been i've been uh they call it hating but i call it predicting i've 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 been <laughs> predicting that this would be the fate of cyberpunk um you know way before it came out right so w- would you agree that cyberpunk 2077 launch and the events that followed are like it's like the biggest disaster in gaming history <laughs> that's how i see it, it do, i don't do you know agree? about that the whole the whole industry crashed in the 80s when uh, when the entire industry crashed that might have been worse than this, okay second second worst disaster ever nah Nah, nah, nah. I think there's a lot of worse stuff than cyberpunk. And, and in fact, I think cyberpunk will ultimately wind up being a good thing for, for a few reasons. I think that that it might like be the poster child for like game developers looking over at their managers and saying, hey, we need to delay this thing or else we'll wind up like cyberpunk. And mm-hmm. that is so important and like could make such a big difference that that alone might make the whole thing have been worth it. Um, and the other thing is I think CD Projekt will be just fine. Like, I think they're going to win fans back. I think they're going to they're gonna um, update the game over time and improve it and make it function and, and like, release the next-gen versions and blah, 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 blah. Like, give away DLC for free to everybody. They're going to find some way to, like, to win the PR battle and, like, get people back, um, even I, if it I takes a you. couple of years. I, yeah, I well, so, so, like, fundamentally, like, it, it's if it, the lasting impacts that it'll have if they might only be positive so there's so we can't say it was like one of the biggest disasters if that's the case right i mean i mean just like getting removed from ps and that's like et levels of like burying it in some landfill yeah right? that- don't get me wrong okay yeah i let me let me let me back up a second i don't want to make it seem like this was not a disaster because it was a massive flop it was a massive disaster of this game and the ramifications of it like will be huge um i just reported last week that the the executives in charge are still taking home massive bonuses which is Mm -hmm. again testament to how the games industry works they all get these massive checks anyway um i think between four and six million dollars went to like each member of the board um but yeah but but it's yes this was a humongous flop like um anyone who bought the game on consoles i hope they got refunds because it's just like i feel it's it's terrible for a lot of people i feel worse for the the worst of all i feel for the game developers who worked on this game and put all like so many hours and so much time and passion into it because like like it's one thing to crunch on a game that like then goes on to win game of the year and you're kind of like okay it was worth it for me personally but like to crunch on a game that then becomes such as debacle like cyberpunk was man that that sucks man that really sucks Mm-hmm. So Very yeah, I, you're you're right that like this was a disaster. I I don't want to I don't want to like undermine that. I don't want to underplay that at all. But I think like 
I don't, I, I wouldn't say it was like one of the worst things of all time. Like I look at some, some of the studio shutdowns I cover and press reset are, were like a lot bigger disasters because they led to a lot more pain ultimately than and, this did. Yeah. And a lot of gamers say like, oh, they've lost the goodwill of the gamer, but gamers are, have short memory. All you got to do is uh -huh. just dangle yep. something you know, shiny and sparkly in front of them, and they'll completely forget about Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk's launch. You know, as soon as they show their next game, as long as it's shiny, and yeah, there'll be some people that might wait for some reviews or make or wait for the word uh, if if it's you know that it's working well. But you know, they're, they're gonna have short memory about it. It's it, yeah, it yeah. Them. Witcher yeah. Four comes out. Here's what they're gonna exactly. do. They're gonna do like cyberpunk enhanced edition and hey we're giving away the expansion for free to anyone who bought the game just as an, a token of goodwill um and then they're going to come out with witcher 4 in a few years and it'll be like it'll blow everyone away at e3 and yeah it'll it'll this is always gonna be yeah nobody's exactly. gonna gonna look at cd project and be like i will never trust them again they'll just be a little more cautious next time and they'll they'll be one back i'm sure exactly so you you said flop um, and, uh, I know when you, uh, had uh, reported on that, a lot of people, um, you know, disagree with you, you know, they were like, how could it flop? It sold this much millions. And, you know, they went on Twitter and bragged about how much the game sold and they reported how much they made. And, uh, what's your, how do you define a flop and why would you say cyberpunk is a flop? Because I, I throw that word around sometimes I say death stranding flop, for example. Right. And the reason so, I say, okay. sorry, I, go I, ahead, go ahead. I say death stranding flop because so when, when when a game sells well that PlayStation publish, the first thing they, they do is they run and report it, say it sold three million in 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 a week or something like like that. Right. They didn't do that with Death Stranding. So uh -huh. and they, they pretty much avoided any conversation really about that. So that what that's what lead, leads me to believe that Death Stranding flop. But what, how do you define <laughs> define that? OK, so first of all, I want to say people people ask me a lot of the time. Jason, why do you block so many people on Twitter? Um, the fact that I can run this report that is like all about these giant bonuses that the executives are taking home, despite the fact that they were responsible for this and like they were the ones who chose not to delay the game, despite developers saying, "Hey, this game is not ready," um, and uh, and half the reactions will be like, "Oh my God, you called Cyberpunk a flop! How could you call Cyberpunk a flop?" Like, no wonder I block so many friggin' people on Twitter. Like, that's your fucking takeaway. All right, putting that aside, the reason Cyberpunk is a flop is because even though it sold 13 million copies, CD Projekt needed it to sell a lot more than that. Um, and it also sold 13 million copies at launch. Sales tanked after that because it was moved from the PlayStation Store and because uh, of all the critical reception because everybody was talking about how buggy and, and busted it was. Um, what people don't understand is that a flop is relative, right? 13 million copies would be amazing for most games. But when you're CD Projekt and you only release one game every five years and your investors and your analysts and every, everyone like that's part of the CD Projekt ecosystem expected a lot more than that in its first few months, in its first year on the market, and then expected even more than that when it was eventually like released on next-gen consoles, et cetera, et cetera, that is a flop. It did not meet their expectations. It is by definition a flop. Like People don't understand that. It's not, you can't just look at the numbers in a vacuum. Um, and mm -hmm. I mean, Death Stranding, I don't know. Cause like you said, I mean, they, when they don't publicly talk about numbers, yeah, you can make assumptions, but like, that's all that is. Um, and I do wish the video game industry was less opaque about these numbers. Cause it's kind of ridiculous, 
But yeah, but of course, Cyberpunk was by definition a flop. Like people always look at big numbers and get really impressed, but the big numbers don't matter when it is all relative. It is all based on like because we are in a capitalism system, capitalistic system where like you're you have projections and you need to sell X amount to keep your investors happy and your your shareholders happy. Like that's what matters. People don't seem to understand that. So this is why I fucking block people on Twitter because they can't understand basic <laughs> things. But what about attachment rate when it comes to flop? For example, we know the PlayStation Four sold. Uh, I don't know what's that 120 million by now as a console, right? And okay. there there may be some PlayStation games that's let's say they only sell. Um, let's say 5 million people look like 5 million out of 120 million consoles sold like that attachment rate is bad but what if what if the, what if they still made a profit from a game the huge profit from the game it, is 5 million still bad it's impossible to really have an have like an educated conversation about this stuff without knowing what people what companies expected to sell and what mm-hmm. they they hope what their projections were um and oftentimes what you'll see is i mean you can kind of read between the lines someone like like sony says hey ghost of tsushima is like the biggest blah 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 ever sold six million copies keeps posting updated sales etc cetera, etc cetera. whereas the last of us 2 they like post one the first week of sales and then stop talking about the numbers you can kind of read between the lines there that's not that doesn't mean you can definitively say hey last of us 2 was a flop but you can kind of like try to make some educated speculation but but you can't like when you talk about like oh this sold 5 million even though there were 120 million ps4s out there that doesn't mean anything because it's whether it's a flop or not whether it was a hit or not is entirely based on what that company and what that team had in mind um hades for example one of last year's best games that sold like a couple million copies, I think. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was something much lower than your your mm-hmm. AAA game. But because that was a team of ten people, that was a mega hit. That was a massive sensation. Where like every award if, possible. Yeah, well, but but in terms of the mm-hmm. numbers, like it's yeah. all just relative. If that had been a team that was like a thousand people, the way that that uh, Cyberpunk is, then maybe it's a different world. Maybe it's like maybe selling two million copies is actually a massive flop. So that's what people don't seem to understand is that like there's no way to really know whether something is a hit unless you have two numbers. One is the number that it sold. Two is the number that the company hoped it would sell or expected that it would sell. And if you don't have those two numbers, you cannot have an educated conversation about this. You can make guesses if you want, but like there's no way to definitively know whether something was a hit or not. And, And absolutely. That makes sense. That makes sense. Are you subscribed to Game Pass? Um, I am, but I, but I get a lot of stuff for free um, just okay. as part of my job. I get a lot of game codes for free. But yes, I do have Game Pass, and it's awesome. I was playing around with it on my, on my Series X, and um, yeah, I'm regularly impressed by the stuff that's, that's put on Game Pass. I'm interested in, um, because there's always this debate about whether Game Pass is uh, sustainable. You know, this subscription service for games is, is sustainable. I, I mean, uh-huh. I have to think it is because you have all these um, studios and, and developers opting in to put their games on Game Pass. They have to be getting something positive for it on the back end. But, I mean, do, is there any insight that you have that developers who put their games on Game Pass are very happy um with what they're getting out of it um i haven't heard any complaints um this isn't a conversation i've had super often with people um i've definitely heard from some people who like in hypothetical land were worried about the the devaluation of games because you look at spotify and what it's done to the music industry it's like every artist gets like one 
tiny fraction of a cent yep. for for every track they have and so it's like they make no money on that thing so people are definitely worried but i've not i haven't heard any complaints about like the terms that people have gotten with microsoft for their game pass games i have heard that like the exposure and being talked about on game pass and being seen on game Pass, like visibility on game pass helps a lot in terms of like potential other sales on other platforms sometimes someone might check something out on game pass and be like oh hey this is really fun i'm gonna buy it on my switch and that helps a lot um oftentimes in the games industry and people might not realize this the biggest problem um in the indie games world especially but really in the game in if you're releasing a game the biggest problem is discoverability and like getting your name out there getting your game's name out there and that can be really really hard and getting yourself on game pass where as of right now it's only a few hundred games so like you can basically see them all in one library as opposed to like going on steam where there are a few hundred games released every friggin week um that can really help with discoverability and so that that makes a big difference um and can be really beneficial at least for now maybe things will be different in a couple of years when maybe microsoft changes the terms and maybe there are thousands of games on game pass instead of hundreds but um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens then. Because here's my problem with Game Pass, right? I feel that Game Pass, of course, Game Pass has great games on there. There's 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 no denying that, right? And I think it's a great value. Like I say all the time, when I have kids, I'm not buying them any games. They're getting Game Pass. You know, like yeah. you have this huge library. It's it's so it's great for that. My problem with it is, I feel that like for certain games, it's a mediocrity safety net. Because, okay, you div- you make this game, and even though it may not be, the, you know, the greatest game, may not be technically great, may not have the best gameplay, all those factors, right? If people feel like they didn't really, there's there's this low entry to play it, that they'll accept the mediocrity of it, right? And I feel like there's this like kind of like this balance in the in the world and in the gaming industry that shouldn't mediocre games kind of fail shouldn't don't they just kind of deserve to fail like like it's like gaming industry darwinism doesn't it deserve to die if it's not good like isn't there isn't there there an aspect of that to it yeah i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot that's a loaded question there's a lot to unfold there because you could also argue that like some of everybody's favorite games have come from mediocrity. Um, the first Assassin's Creed was a mediocre game, but it because was. they stuck with it over time, two was like, amazing. kept it going and like, yeah, made amazing stuff from there. Um, oftentimes like game developer, nobody sets out to make a mediocre game, obviously, but like oftentimes um, when you're making a game, it takes a while before you really learn what that game is. And oftentimes you get an opportunity with the sequel to like really hone that and improve that and make it better. Um, the first Mass Effect was kind of mediocre. Um, a lot of like first games, and then Mass Effect Two was mm-hmm. like mind blowing. A lot of first games are like kind of mediocre, and then and then it's the second and the third, and like once once they know what the game is and they know what they're making, they can make something really great. So yeah, I mean, your question. There's a lot of possible answers and 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 conversations to be had about that question of like uh, valuing mediocrity, but I tend to believe that like. Uh, game developers should have the chance to like keep doing stuff if they want to and mm-hmm. and the whole darwinism thing seems a little harsh um I'm for, a harsh person. for for folks <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty cut through i mean to me it's hard enough to make a game in the first place that it's like I, I i'm not like out here being like oh yeah i'm gonna go spend all my time playing mediocre games or anything like that but uh 
but yeah, but I like the idea of like finding ways to make things sustainable, even if you're not like the top tier, like naughty dog that can afford to spend uh, mm-hmm. bazillions of dollars on every project. Okay. Let's talk about some people that in the industry that you have an issue with, or should I say like they have an issue with you? Um, because, because <laughs> sure. it's, it, it's funny because listen, you, your reputation is that you're an asshole on on you know on Twitter. That's your reputation. It is what it is. But it's weird that it, it's weird that I consider I think myself my reputation in some circles, maybe Sony fanboy or Xbox fanboy circles, is that true. I'm an asshole on Twitter because I blocked half of them. I don't. I, I, reputation is a funny thing. It changes depending on who you ask, right? Absolutely. Um, like me, I accept that I'm like a, people look at me as a jerk on Twitter, right? And and I'm a jerk self-proclaimed but it's in like a it's not in a malicious way and it's funny that like i I come across so many people that are blocked by you and that hate you and but me and you have never had a bad interaction i'm like i don't see why y'all hate jason so much like (laughs) as far as i see you just report the news and, and and that's it my theory is that like we're both from new york that's my theory and like i think i think we just have a certain way that that people don't understand, but we understand each other because we're from New York. Because I truly don't understand understand like what people's issue with you and, and your reporting is. Um, so I well, I think one of the big problems is that is that people think people think that just because I have a Twitter presence and like sometimes we'll talk to people on Twitter and like respond to people on Twitter, everybody thinks that because of that, I owe them like access to me and like they are owed the chance to respond to me and to interact with me and to send me messages. And what people don't understand is that that is completely false. Like nobody is owed my time or attention or my energy. And when you get to a certain point on Twitter, um, uh, like at this point, I don't even know, like some, I have, my follower account is, is, is silly. It's like un, unmanageable. It's, it's very large. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because when you hit that point on Twitter, you can't really use Twitter like a normal person because your notifications are just a disaster. <laughs> like I've had colleagues at Bloomberg, at Bloomberg where like, I'll retweet their articles and like support them and stuff. And they'll be like, oh my God, like my notifications are going crazy. Like, is this what your day-to-day life is like on Twitter? And I'm like, yeah. And that's a blessing and a curse, right? Like it's a good and a bad thing. It's it's good because I, I love that I have this platform and can use it to like boost stories and boost voices and like try to do a little bit of good. But the bad thing of that is that everybody thinks that they're owed your attention. And when there's like negativity sent my way, I'm just like, I, I, I'm not, like in the business of dealing with this, like I want nothing to do with you. And so I decided a couple of years ago that like, I'm not going to allow this on my feed. I'm not going to allow people who annoy me anywhere near my Twitter feed. I'm not going to allow them to respond to me. I'm not going to allow them to ruin my day. I'm not going to allow them my attention or my time or my headspace at all. And that's kind of necessary when you have a platform that's, that's as big as mine is. And so I mean, people think that I'll block them for any reason. No, that's not true. And people say like, oh my God, you'll block him for disagreeing with you. Absolutely not. You've disagreed with me before, BG. A lot of people have disagreed time. with me. But like, 
if you are go about that in a way that treats me like a human being instead of treats me like your your character to to say annoying things to you on Twitter, then we're not going to have a problem. If you annoy me, if you choose to like address me in a way that is disrespectful or if you choose to just like hop in my mentions about like something else entirely or even like disagree disagree with me when I'm like this is not a place to be disagreeing with me. Like that, that, that is not your your place right now. That is not something you have the right to do right now. Then so, fuck off. Like I'm like uh, blocking people is very satisfying to me because it feels like I, I'm I just like eliminating nuisances in my life. I agree. So so with that said, why why are you bullying David Jaffe? Why are you picking on him? What's what's y'all beef? What's going well, on? Well, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I had never talked. Like I've never talked to David Jaffe. He decided to start like tweeting at me a bunch. And I was just like, I don't, I haven't thought of you in many years. Like I, I, he's, he wasn't really relevant to my life until very recently. And then he started like tweeting about like a couple of days before I published my article a few weeks ago about Sony, he started tweeting like false things about it and like tagging me. And uh, before that he was like making videos about my articles about crunch. And he's like one of those old timers who's like been in the video game industry for years and years. And so he's, he's kind of like uh, one of those that i was talking about earlier where it's like i'm comfortable like crunch is how games get made blah 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 he's got a very old school mentality about some things and so when i report on crunch he decides to make videos about it i had never really interacted with him until recently when he started tweeting at me and then i was just like i don't really want i know like i said you don't really deserve my time or or bandwidth right now so i'm just gonna block you and then i don't know i haven't really paid attention to him since then um I don't understand why he's like suddenly relevant. And like, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to, I, I want nothing to do with him. Like, I, I don't understand why this even came up in the first place. Like he can go live his life and he should just stop talking about me. Cause like, I don't want anything to do with him. Uh, well, you know, he's been back like live streaming and, uh, you know, just making video content. So I, I guess, you know, you just became a target. I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, I just that's see- the thing. It's like, at a certain point, it's like to be relevant, you have to like go after people and start drama because it brings people to your channel. So are you saying David Jaffe is clout chasing? Doing. You saying he clout chasing? I, I'm not saying anything. I, I don't I, like I said, this this person does not really occupy much of my my thought or my time. So I just don't like 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 I said, when I block people on Twitter, oftentimes it's just because I don't really want them to be part of my life. I don't want to think about them anymore so they can just go away. And so, yeah, I mean, like like I said, I, I, I want nothing to do with that. And like, keep me out of it. Keep me out of what, that stuff. What about what about Colin Moriarty? Because um, I see y'all seem to throw shots at each other sometimes, too. I don't know where that comes from either. Yeah, well, that guy is a little more harmful, I think, because he he uh, has a hired and given a big platform to some people who are really, really harmful um, to people, to colleagues of mine and and, um, done some really nasty things. And also his I mean, uh, the reason I talked to I talked about him a couple of days ago because he had responded back when I was first reporting on CD Projekt Red and their crunch back in October or so last year, um, September last year. He was responding by saying like, hey, it's not a big deal, like basically saying all this false stuff about what they were doing, about how they only had to work seven extra days, which is completely false. They were working crunching for months and months. Um, he was saying how they're all going to get rich, so they'll be fine. Clearly, that's not the case. A lot of stuff like that. Um, he has a big platform, so like when he spreads misinformation to a big platform, sometimes I feel like I got to address it every once in a while. Um, and yeah, that's that. Mm. 
Okay. Are there? I remember I spoke to you years ago um, that you you were blacklisted by a few studios. I know you were blacklisted by Bethesda. Any, any, any new studios you've been blacklisted by that won't give you access to anything? <laughs> it, it changes every month. Um, oh, well, the thing about Bethesda, what's unusual about Bethesda is that they just had this permanent, like, we will never talk to you again since 2013. Still the case. Still, they've never talked to me since 2013. Um, other companies, it's kind of like hot and cold relationship. Like, I'll have to get on the phone with them every once in a while and be like, look, we got to talk this through. Um, so, yeah, that, that stuff, when a company is like that, I don't want to call them out because to me, it feels like we can have our private interactions and try to deal with it like adults. Cause I actually really appreciate it when, when a company's PR people are like, Hey, this is why we're upset about this thing. Let's talk it through as opposed mm -hmm. to Bethesda, which I'll happily call out any time because they're babies who are just like we'll never talk to you again which is like the most unprofessional like like childish way to deal with 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 that sort of thing um but yeah hey that's their prerogative they're they're allowed to do that i'm still going to keep covering the company fairly and and as accurately as fairly as i can but um but yeah it's 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 preposterous and and it really speaks to the way that game companies like think of journalists in the games industry which is that like if you're not part of the marketing machine if you're doing things that that break our marketing plan that that disrupt our marketing plan then then we don't want anything to do with you so um you're you're since i have you in here you know you have to be yeah. the representative for all gaming journalists right you, <laughs> you, you have to be sure. you have to represent all of them right now so so my audience needs, you know, they, they, they got to get me to ask you this question. Why are gaming journalists so bad at games? Why are y'all so bad? I don't know about you, and you I, and your gaming I, skill, but why are your yeah, peers I mean, so bad? I challenge whoever asked that, I challenge you to play me StarCraft 2 one-on-one. <laughs> Let's see who's bad at games. No, um, uh, I think that like what people don't understand about the journalist's job is that like oftentimes games journalists have to play so many different things that it's tough to find the time to be proficient in like a certain game. That's not to say like there there have been some embarrassing things that have happened over the years. Like uh, I'm not excusing some some things, um, but like it's very difficult to put in the hours you need to on like getting really good at stuff when you have to be playing a new thing every single day. Um, and then also part of it is that like, sometimes people react to videos that are taken at like E3 or like packs where it's very difficult to be good at a game when you're playing like in a, uh, on a sweaty controller and like a crowded booth and, and there's a PR person hovering over your shoulder. It's like, and you're trying to capture footage. It's, it's not in your standing. It's not easy to, to play games in those settings. So like, you've seen that cuphead video though. You've seen the cuphead video. You know what I'm, I'm talking gonna, about. I'm not going <laughs> to comment on that one, but, but I do sympathize with people who are like playing at, at, pre at shows. Cause that's not super easy to do. So I've been there. Um, but really, I mean, yeah, I mean, some game journalists are good and some aren't just like, it's reflective of the, of the broader population. I think what happens is that like the people who intensely follow gaming news tend to skew towards a more hardcore. And what happens is you'll get people who are like really, really good at one type of game commenting on a journalist, like playing whatever, but they don't realize that like the journalist has to be such a generalist and so play so much stuff that they can't be really good at, at X thing. But again, uh, play me in Starcraft, buddy. Let's, let's see how, <laughs> who's good at video games. Okay. Just a few more questions. I know you got to get out of here. Um, yeah, sure. I got like 10 more minutes. Cool. So as we know, PlayStation um, is slowly putting a lot of their games on PC. As Jim Ryan said, uh, uh -huh. the whole slate. That's, you know, that's the description 
he used. Right. So there's this conversation, you know, where we're unsure about how exactly Sony is, is going to handle it. What what games are going to go to PC if it's, you know, all the, the big ones, because right now you can make the case that, you know, Horizon and Days Gone, those aren't necessarily their biggest IP. Right. It's they're not it's okay. not God of War. It's not The Last of Us. It's, it's not Spider-Man. Do you think like those the, the biggest IPs will go to PC and do you ever see it like happening day one? Because, you know, they, they've released these PC ports after the game has already saturated the market, you know, they're on consoles, they're not selling anymore. Okay, let's put it on PC, give it a little bit of life, gain a little bit more profit. You ever see it going like day one, launching simultaneously? Yeah, I mean, that would be the smart move for a lot of reasons. Like, it's it's silly to to limit your games to specific platforms. But then the flip side of that is that their whole strategy of, like, getting people to buy PlayStations is being like, you can only play this on PlayStations, as opposed to Microsoft, which has taken the opposite approach. And that, as a result, means there's very little reason to buy an Xbox Series X if you have a gaming PC. In fact, there's no reason to buy an Xbox Series X if you have a gaming PC, unless you really want to play, like, some old xbox exclusives on 360 or something like that um but yeah no it's uh it's an interesting question and it's something that i've been following with with a lot of interest as someone who has like a good pc and and likes playing games on there um because something like bloodborne i mean i'm i still every day pray for a bloodborne pc release because oh, yeah, that game was so limited by the hardware and to play that game at 60 frames a second would just be amazing um so yeah it's interesting i i don't know i'm very curious about their strategy but like i really don't know the answer um to like what they're thinking um what what their logic is there one theory that i've had is that um that their pc release so far has been for technical reasons um days gone 4 was on the unreal engine and horizon was on guerrilla games's decima engine um Mm -hmm. and so maybe it was easier to put those two on pc as opposed to some of the other proprietary stuff but i don't know for sure um i know for a fact that we're gonna see i mean jim ryan has said it so we know for a fact that we're gonna see more playstation games on pc um and uh, the ones that I've heard about are just like what you would expect based on this pattern so far, like older, older games. Right. But but Jim Ryan, he's he's earned the nickname Lion Jim Ryan, right? Because he's uh, went back on a lot of things that he specifically said or, you know, the PlayStation brand has said, for example, the whole we believe in generations, right? Implying that the, the games, you know, uh, like Spider-Man, Miles Morales, um, you know, are going to be just PS5 exclusives, only launched on PS5. And then they completely turn around and reveal that, no, these games are also on PlayStation 4. Do you have any insight on why this man lied to us? <laughs> I don't really see it as a lie as much of like a change in strategy. Like, it's very clear that like, like, I don't think, I think we all assume that like Sony has some roadmap somewhere for the next five years and that they're following every path and like they know exactly what they're doing. But like these companies are constantly changing their minds about all sorts of things. And there's a lot of stuff that happens very last minute. There's a lot of stuff that just gets shifted around and we should allow people to change their minds. Like if Jim Ryan decided one day, you know what, actually we want to put stuff on PC. Actually, we don't want to abandon the PS4 just yet. Who knows? Maybe they knew like that. Um, they saw the chip shortage coming and they were like, you know what? People won't be able to get PS5 so easily. So maybe we'll put stuff on PS4 too. Who knows? I don't know. Mm. Um, but I do know that, that like, we I, I don't really believe in like like 
holding someone's words from like two years ago to completely like uh, they were like pretty recent that, they like, were like within a few months of the the ps5's release though it okay was fair enough yeah, yeah i don't know for sure no no no, no. don't like yeah. i don't want to defend i'm not defending executives here i just in a broader sense like i i think that people should be able to like change our minds and change our strategies um mm-hmm. maybe he should come out and say that if that's the case and like answer like explain what's changed but um but but i don't really think we should take these things like i said in stone okay uh so that's all the questions i had for you let me uh go to uh, our patreon and um get in some questions from our viewers real quick sure uh, i want some oh, more tough questions give me give me oh. give me your hardest give me your hardest questions oh man okay you you want the hard i want to hear i want to hear from all the listeners who are like man fucking jason i hate that guy that guy's blocked me on twitter bring it on bring it on oh yeah listen if anybody in the comment section if you got any questions we uh we got them for you know a few more minutes so definitely you know just write in the comment section um if there's any you see that you want to address you know feel feel free i'm just gonna look uh in our patreon list um see what we got uh so has there been any um like any articles that you've written that you regret writing that you regret publishing whether it be because it was just a bad article it was untrue or it was just trash oh yeah 100 percent. never never untrue i don't believe unless i'm totally misremembering i don't believe i've ever published something that was completely false um but yeah 100 percent. i mean i have tons of stuff i regret over the years um at kotaku especially when we had when we were moving at very fast speeds and like um sometimes just published something with like the wrong angle or like made made some comment that i shouldn't have um i think to this day like still you got like anime creeps bringing up that i called the the artist of dragon's crowd and a teenager like still to this day you get so many like creeps bringing that up which is hilarious um, but that's one I definitely regret. And yeah, plenty, plenty of stuff I regret. Okay. Uh, that question was from, from Tony Plays Games uh, on the Patreon. Uh, Big Piece asked uh, about the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> um, do you know anything about that? Is that in development? Yeah, the rumors started a couple uh a couple of weeks ago because I was on the Min Max podcast and I mentioned it. He he got it out of me. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. We'll we'll see what happens. It's still early. It's like a couple of years in development. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know too many details or anything like that. But yes, okay. it's a thing. So you you know a lot of the reporting you do is you know especially regarding mismanagement and crunch. You know it's about uh, PlayStation Studios, Xbox, um, some third party studios. But we almost never hear anything like this from Nintendo. I assume maybe because they keep everything airtight over there. But have you ever like really reported on any type of mismanagement dysfunction happening within Nintendo? Yeah. So I think that that one of my big blind spots um, is is uh, Japan. Um, And that's for language reasons, for cultural reasons. But for for a lot of different reasons, um, I have not had a ton of like visibility into Japanese work studios. Um, And I've talked to some folks. I mean, I've tried to make that change and tried to get some insight into like um, uh, into people over there. But um, to generalize a little bit, I think there's aspects of Japanese culture that make it like not that, that make people don't not want to speak out about their employers. There's a lot of like loyalty to employers. People tend to stay with the same companies for a very long time. Um, and so 
yeah, it's been tough to get a lot of visibility there. So I don't really know. Like, I don't know if Nintendo is like crunching their asses off on Breath of the Wild 2 right now mm, they or could be. whatever. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have a ton of visibility into into Japanese work culture, unfortunately. Oh, so speaking, here's here's a question regarding crunch. So, of course, you know, let's say it's a, it's a game you love, Breath of the Wild 2, right? Uh-huh. Um, yep. And you learn that Nintendo, you know, made their developers crunch crazy, you know, ruined their lives and everything like that. As a gamer, what exactly can you do? Because you, not supporting the game doesn't help them. It might actually hurt that studio. Mm. So what do you do? You boycott it? Do you like what do you do? Yeah, it's a good question. I hear that a lot. And I don't have a ton of good answers. Um, the only the things that I can think of are um, one talking about it a lot because like adding just just bringing bringing more visibility to these issues is helps a lot, I think. Um, and I've heard um, like in general, I think crunch is discussed a lot more now than than it was a few years ago. And I think that's because like people are still talking about it and talking about it a lot. Um, so that helps. Um, being supportive to people instead of just like shitting on game developers on Twitter. I mean, you shouldn't do that anyway, but like just like sending notes of, of empathy towards people. If you hear that they're in a tough situation, that helps a lot. Um, like I'm sure I, I know for sure that like people who worked on, I don't know the new like Anthem next back when that was being canceled, like people really mm-hmm. appreciated seeing a lot of like kind words on Twitter about like saving Anthem and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, just like like showing your support for for those staff and like actions they might take can go a long way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, boycotting if you want to boycott something like as an individual action, by all means do it because if you don't feel comfortable playing a game. But I don't really think that like individual actions can fix systemic issues, which is like true in a lot of cases, whether you're talking about like like police in America or video game crunch, like any, any, a lot of these systemic issues that like require widespread change just cannot really be done on an individual level. Like you can, you can have a couple, a couple of good wins, satisfying wins on an individual level, but like really you just need sweeping changes. And, and I think that's very much the case for games and, and unionization and like some other things I think are the ways to, to make that, to enact that systemic change. Okay. Uh, Fuzzy Belvedere asks, uh, if you were not a gaming journalist, what other would, what, uh, other hobby would you want to report on? Oh, I don't know. If I wasn't a gaming journalist, I would probably be just, uh, like a reporter on other stuff. I don't know. It could be anything. I, I would be, I'm like, I, I love reporting and writing. And so I would be happy doing a lot of different things, I think, as long as I found them interesting. So, Mm. um, could be a lot of different beats yeah i don't know probably i i think the thing i would probably be doing is more general reporting like finding interesting stories across a variety of of industries and and like characters and stuff okay all right so jason i really appreciate you coming on y'all need to go Ooh, those are and... the toughest questions you got oh, oh I, 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 I got i got questions okay go ahead bond yeah go ahead um all right i gotta i really i gotta make dinner but i can give you five five minutes that's it though i really gotta go uh take care of my time i got four quick questions uh four (laughs) yes hit me capcom's been talking about a Mega Man battle network collection have you heard anything about that no no um what's retro studios been up to do we know they're even making (laughs) games anymore yeah they're working on metroid prime that's public right as they claim yeah 
is there any like ETA on on our lifetime on this game? Or like, <laughs> what is <laughs> going on over there? Like, what no have clue. they been working on? Yeah, I figured if you didn't have much about Japanese, um, I know they they canceled a project before Metroid yeah. Prime Four, but I but and I've heard a couple of bits and pieces, but nothing I can like share conclusively. Yeah, uh, what's your opinion on journalists that clearly don't? know how to play video games reviewing games to me it feels like somebody who knows nothing about football on espn talking about the nfl draft i don't really care <laughs> i guess like who cares like the only people who who would actually care about that are people who care about like metacritic scores and shit like that so th- therefore the only people who really care about that are console fanboys and console fanboys are like the the, the scum of the earth so who cares like who cares if, not, if- not not okay let me rephrase that question not really in this way not really now because it goes into my next like when i look at a game review right i want to know does the game run properly does it have issues like returnal like i saw you tweet about it how like yeah we well, want a product review you don't want criticism i mean i think but- there's a lot of that's been a, a debate in games journalism for as long as i've been doing this for at least like 15 years 20 years is the concept of like should a piece of should a should a game review be a piece of criticism like something that helps uh uh like helps further your understanding of this as a piece of art or should it be a product review and different sites have different perspectives on that um at kotaku back in the day like we were very much about and still kotaku we're very much about like we want this to be criticism like we want to examine these games as pieces of art rather than like tell you does it work does it not work we might include that stuff but like we're more concerned with with this as a piece of art and like like examining how it makes you feel and like what it means and stuff like that and i think like fundamentally you have to just find the outlets that do what you want them to do instead of like reading 10 reviews and then getting mad because one of them was written by like someone who doesn't know the genre cold like it it, it's not healthy to like look at games reviews that way just find the ones you like and and stick with them that's my my point i agree agree, but like sometimes i read a lot of reviews i'm like do these people even play games and my last question is i mean it's don't i'm not really into political affiliation stuff but there's like a lot of reviews you read We're, we're talking about they're talking about politics gender all kinds of craziness and it's not, it's literally not until like paragraph five or six that we've ever even, they're even talking about the game. And I'm like, yeah, I don't mind you talking about these things, but like, shouldn't we be talking about like the fundamental aspects of the game first? Like, does it even work before we so get he, into so Let me ask you something. When you Go see ahead. a review like that, is your initial instinct to say, hey, I don't like this review. Okay, I'll move on with my day. Or is it to yeah, or is it to, to tweet nasty things at the reviewer and try to make their life hell because you don't both like the review them. that they wrote? Both of them. Let me let me be candid let me, here. Let me that makes you that that makes you pretty shitty because game reviewing, man, being a game reviewer is not a well-paid gig. It is a Agreed. very difficult gig. It, it requires a lot of hours. And the worst thing about it is that you have to be terrified that when you publish a negative review review or public publish a review that like has feminist critique in it or whatever progressive views in it that you're going to get shit on on the internet and people are going to make your life a hell like let your life hell for the day like why should game reviewers have to deal with that whether or not you think that like they play games or whether or not you think that they should be writing more of a product review whatever put that aside why should they be subjected to like being treated like shit because 
they decided to write something that like you took issue with. Well, Why is you, that justified? You, you got to let me finish my thought. Like I'm not taking issue with it. It comes down to a point. It's like if you go to buy a car and somebody starts telling you, oh, this car sucks because the manufacturer supports Republicans. I'm like, that's not telling me anything about the car. Well, a car isn't a piece of art. I don't but, think how many how many reviews are you seeing out there saying that this game sucks because the I see the, quite a number and I don't really attack. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't attack about, the person. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Back up a second. What Go you're ahead. talking about is game reviews that try to analyze things from a political way. Maybe a game review looks at Call of Duty and says, hey, this is like fetishistic of war. Hey, this is like pro-army in a way that makes me uncomfortable. So what? Like, who gives a shit? Like, just because- I don't mind that. I'm but, saying but, but, when they like, put what I'm that saying out. is if you, want, if you want a review that just says, okay, this is the new Call of Duty. It has 20 guns. It works. It doesn't have bugs. It's okay. Like, there are so many websites out there for you. Correct. Why do you got to go after Kotaku or Polygon or whoever else just because they're publishing like they're publishing for their audience. And suddenly you have this audience of like gamer cretins who like discover it on Metacritic or Reddit or whatever. And they're like shitting all over the reviewer who doesn't deserve uh, any of like who doesn't deserve to have their life like made hell like hellish for the day just because the wrong people read their review like that's so fucked up that's so much more fucked up than criticizing a game in a way that you want to criticize well, people it. can criticize a game people can criticize a reviewer my point is there's nothing wrong with you critiquing a game politically and stuff but you still have to remember to critique the game that's my point no, they all- don't. A review can be anything it wants to be. I've read reviews. We've published reviews on Kotaku that were like like poems or like pieces of fan fiction. A review can be anything it wants to be. If you it want can. a product review, if you want a product review, you can get that so many friggin' places. Yeah. It's just like it doesn't it doesn't seem like there's so much stuff out there. I I would maybe like empathize with your point a little bit if there were only two review websites and they were both writing like weird experimental reviews instead of saying this game is buggy, this game crashes, whatever. But now in 2021, you have so many options and YouTubers and like product review specific YouTube channels and IGN and GameStop, like all these different big websites uh, give you so many different options that like to get mad about the one review that chooses to criti- criticize a game politically is just like how low can you be especially when it's like <laughs> people who are like mistreated on the internet anyway like women reviewers or like people who are part of marginalized communities and they get like shit for other reasons anyway like to add to that to dogpile to that is just like Man, it really pisses me off. Yeah, Bond, how could you, Bond? So should bad games never be criticized because there's an abundance of good games? No, what? What What are you talking about? Yeah, like you just said, there's no point. You shouldn't criticize because you can go somewhere else. So should bad games never be criticized because I can go out and find a bunch of other good games? Is it your job to criticize reviewers? If you start a website no. that is like review, no, so, that, so what are you talking about? Of course, people you, should criticize bad games. If it's if it's if it's their job or if they feel like criticizing a bad game, of course they can do that. So and you know what? Okay, but but here's so the thing: I'm not even saying. look, I'm not saying you should you should not criticize a review either. Like I'm not even saying that. I'm saying if your if your instinct is to tweet at the reviewer, hey, what the hell, man? Like, hey, fuck you how dare you do this then you're a shithead if you're I don't, I don't, say like I don't okay i don't like this review i don't like this review 
fine, whatever. I don't care that much. If you're like going, if you're taking it to an extreme, if you're shitting on the reviewer, if you're sending personal attacks, that yeah, takes that, it to that, a level. That's stupid. You shouldn't be like I've, I know what you're talking. About. I've seen people for shame family, families and try like that's stupid. But there, there are sometimes I'll poke fun at her. I'm like, yeah, bro, like, did you even play this game? But outside of that, it's like you shouldn't be like trying to destroy somebody's. I think when you're over a game review, when you're poking fun and 50 other people are also trying to do the same thing, then it makes their lives miserable. I can't believe there are toxic people on the internet like that. I can't believe it. It's for for shame. (laughs) If you work at any job, when you're like, you know, people are always going to be looking at your work, regardless of what you do. Right, anyway, Jason. I gotta go make dinner. I can't believe how late you guys kept me. Good job. Yeah, Good uh, job, press press reset, ruin and recovery in the gaming industry, uh, in the video game industry coming out May 11th. Jason, thank you for being on. Yeah, go pre-order it now. I'm really excited about this book. People should go check it out. Um, you're welcome to tweet at me your reviews. <laughs> Feel free to 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 uh, insult me and and get a block. Get this get these <laughs> get this block. Um yeah, man, no, I'm I'm really excited about it. Actually, I'm, I'm I think this book will resonate with a lot of people, and there's a lot of like really good stories in there that I think people mm-hmm. will really enjoy. Um, is there an audio version, or is it just like? Digital? Yeah, there's an audio version. Yep, you can get physical, you can Amazon, get digital, right? you can get audio. In fact, the audio version is read by Ray Chase, the same guy who wrote, uh, who read the first book, who read Bloodstone Pixels. So he was Noctis in Final Fantasy 15, um, and yeah, I'm really excited about it. Right. Right, Jason, that's your that's your, I thought this was your third book, no? No, second book. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Appreciate you coming on, man. All right. Thanks, Enjoy guys. Take it easy. All right. Peace. I I I for one cannot believe that there are niggas on the internet being toxic and trolling reviewers. Guess what? I'm niggas. <laughs> I, I know you are. <laughs> I, I mean I mean I get his points, but to a degree, I, I feel like there's gotta be an accountability. For anybody that does any kind of job, whether they're a game reviewer or anything, and yeah, like I said, you think he's gonna stick up for? He got to. I, I understand, but yeah. like I said, like if Jimmy went to buy a car and he was looking at the reviews for the car, and the reviewer was saying, "Oh, this car sucks because Ford supports Trump," mm-hmm. how does that help Jimmy make an educated decision on what kind of car he's trying to get? Like he wants to know mm-hmm. about the specs of the car. Like yeah, if, somebody, like- if somebody wants to like put their political beliefs in, okay, like. You can sprinkle that here and there after you tell me about the car, but the first six paragraphs of the car review shouldn't be about Trump or about the Democrats or whatever political affiliations. Hey, shout out to Jason. That's that's my guy, man. Appreciate him always coming on. Uh, that was like his third appearance on Weapon Wheel. Shout out to that guy. Um, he's like somebody we can really bring on here and like as a you know as a journalist and you know really talk to him about anything. So shout out to Jason. So we can get to the pod. Hey, y'all, hey, yo, y'all, y'all awake? Jack, y'all there? Mo, yeah, he, he yeah. said he said he wanted hard <laughs> questions, so I had to give him. I had to give yeah. him a tough one. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, right. oh, y'all just woke up for real. Yeah, I woke up. My neck hurt. It's hard sleeping in this gaming chair. Uh, mm-hmm. well, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, you know what? You're a hundred percent right. It probably yeah, is hard go. sleeping in a gaming chair. You got nothing to play. Exactly. And sleep. I knew he was gonna throw some shots. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. We can get to the uh, regular topics now. I'll do my intros real quick. Um, yeah. Raise your hand if you got. Raise your hand if you got Returnal for free. Oh, I did. Oh, man. Well, technically, answer. smooth, smooth paid me. So, did you get yeah. reimbursed for that too? Uh, uh, nah. Can't get my names right. BG, did you get reimbursed? Yeah, smooth paid me. 
Mm. Yo, Bond, people was asking about if you're going to stream that, by the way. So you might want to let them know. Um, I might. I'm probably going to take a break from games a little bit after Cold Steel 4. Oh, Lord. Hey, uh, we got 600 people in here. Can we get some likes? Hit that like button. That like, likes need to be up to 300. Yeah. Uh, y'all did a good job last week. We just had to keep motivating and keep mentioning the like button. Because last week, you know, it's at like sitting at like 900 likes right now. Um <clears throat> Jiggy yeah, merch commercials start. Up. Jiggy <laughs> merch commercials start next week. Yeah, I need yes, I need to create an image yes, for that. Sir. I'm a, I'm gonna create an yes, image for that. Sir. I need to remind me remind me this this week, Jack. Uh, but yeah, get them. Please hit that like button. Let's get it up uh, higher. Um, that was a good yeah, interview. I, with, with, uh, I have a uh, an idea for like the narrator. <clears throat> it should be Jack acting out the commercial, but Mocha speaking for Jack in her Jack imitation voice. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Funny. All right, uh, let's let's do, yeah, let's do these intros. Um, Jack, hello everyone. Uh, hope everybody's having a fun time playing Returnal. Uh, this shit pissing me off, but uh, yeah, let's get it. All right, smooth. What's up, everybody? It's the best spot. All right, Mocha. Hi, you guys. Did you miss me last week? Did you? No. Fuck yes. you. Oh, that, that, <laughs> that, yes. That's why those likes were up last week. Oh, hi, oh, hi. <laughs> I'm quitting. I'm not she, It's funny. She wasn't here, but they, they still was talking about her. I'm like, damn, Ew. I don't get it. Rent free. Rent free. Yeah. Jimmy? Yeah, man. Last but not least, Mega Games, I'm here. Um, yeah. Series Xbox game is in the building. Enjoying um, Outriders. Oh. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Oh, what you think? Got my, got my Xbox last night. You got his right? Xbox. Dude. I'm home, baby. I'm back. What you, what you think you was going to get a PC? Listen, man. Listen, I could have got a PC, but I got an Xbox instead. Where, where are you going to get a video card from? Listen, man. Listen. How you think Peter I Pan? Xbox, Series Come X on, is man. the best video card you can get. I ain't mad. There you go. And wow. I, <laughs> I ain't paying no $3,000. Y'all boys disgusting. That's crazy. <laughs> We don't have to talk about that smooth. You've been doing some some nice frauding lately, but um, oh, man. yeah. As for me, you know, the weekend's going good. We got St. Thomas in three weeks. Miami coming up. I'm going to do Venice Beach. Going to do Saint. Oh man, you know, social reject season is over. We vaccinated. The pandemic is ending. Um, I heard that the rat state up north is going to be full open. So I might have to take a trip up there. You never know. I might happen to you know. Uh, Jimmy's Uber. I never know. Oh shit! Could mm. be in. Could be in the heavy D Uber. Hey, man, I, got a, I got a new car, bro. You got to pay a little bit more, dog. <laughs> got to mm. pay a little. Well, you know, I hope nobody's trying to pepper spray you or anything. No, 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 no. But outside of that, you know, got some good topics today. You know, yeah. Smooth got violated again because Mocha wasn't on last week. Oh yeah. Always huh? that. Always that. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's actually not that many topics this week. You know, it, it was semi dry uh, besides, you know, uh, we're trying uh, to release I, I, got a, I, got a, I got a lot of Xbox topics to talk about. That oh, we can save them for later, Let, let's talk about, uh, you know, um, there, there was a few uh, Xbox worthy things in the news, um, I think. Let's see what we got. Um, Microsoft is reducing its cut of PC sales to match Epic, the Epic Games Store. So that's good. They're trying to give back more to developers, right? Right? Yeah. Clap it up for Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, why, why would they do that? Why would they um, match Epic's uh, cut? That's to what be you said they're doing, right? Yeah, PC market down, baby. Well, to be, to well, be hold on. Hold on. 
Game Pass Ultimate. I was told by the Valve CCs <laughs> that the Alexes of the world and the corporate cocksuckers, the ones that get their asses pounded and their balls tickled by Gabe Newell, I was uh-huh. told that that was not a good thing and that was a fruitless effort. I heard and that it too. It was pointless. Mm-hmm. They were up here like that. they were up here like Madara and Naruto saying "nu da da." What does that translate to? I, I don't know. <laughs> Idiot. But but yeah, yeah, that's that's great that Microsoft is doing that, and it's clearly because you know they're trying to compete and uh, with Epic Games and you know match what they're doing to give back more to the developers. So that's a good thing. So shout out to Microsoft for that. Yeah, you know I I appreciate competition. See, every, everybody appreciates competition, except for the Valve fanboys. Mm-hmm. I hate to see it. And uh, also, um, on I believe it was on Xbox Game Pass, and uh, it might be in early access still. Uh, Xbox fans were playing um, Early Extinction. Uh, excuse me, Early Extinction. Um, this, extinction th- this weekend. Is that the name? Of, I don't think that's the name of the game. Yeah. Second, what is it? Second. You oh. said early. Said, oh well, you know it's 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 an ain't it like an uh, early um thing or whatever? Actually, I've never even heard of early. I've never even heard of this game. Disrespect, man. hey man, but, yeah. hey man. Yeah, y'all get when y'all get a PlayStation game. Oh, uh, we act different. <laughs> hey, okay, okay. Second extinction. Okay, that's that's it's the, the some some bootleg off brand Torok Hunter. That's what that's what it was. Shit, one's in game preview and working fine. One's a read to full retail price game and breaking. <laughs> but I mean, hey, we we talking about extinction right now. Stay on topic. All right, but well, go ahead. Uh, uh, so I played a, l- a little bit of it. It's yeah, it's a fucking it's it's Turok merged with Left 4 Dead, and it's if you're playing by yourself, it's complete trash. And um, it's in game preview for a reason. It needs some time in the microwave, but. This sound, is this a Game Pass game? Yeah, he said that. This sounds like every Game Pass game ever. <laughs> Trash with friends. <laughs> mediocre to garbage. But it might be decent if you have friends to play with. Yeah, because it's, like, it's, it's in one of those four-player, like, or is it? Yeah, it's a four-player. Back alley abortion. Eh. <laughs> let's, let's call it Spade a Spade, man. Everything was good in Xbox land. Until Returnal started getting good reviews and that Ratchet and Skank footage got released. Ratchet and Clank footage, that that was coming. I was in where Ratchet and Clank is is Ratchet and Clank. Those Returnal reviews are fucking fraudulent. Oh, here we go. Uh, Well, well, let's stay on Extinction for a second. Um, So I played played Second Extinction. I got a beta uh, code, like, or it was the beta or alpha code, one of those, um, like months ago, right? Played the game for like 15 minutes, and I was like, this game is complete garbage. Even for like, you know, even for it being in beta or alpha, I can tell you it was garbage. And Steam preview one, right? And the game, uh, early access Steam, right? That's what you got, yeah, right? Probably. Okay. I believe so. I could check my Steam. I think I believe it's in my Steam. I thought it might have been EGS, but it's probably in, in, in my Steam uh, library. And uh, honestly, that was the consensus from what I saw. Even even dudes, you know, like I, I saw it from Xbox dudes. They were telling me that this game was trash. They was doing live uninstalls on Twitter, like, you know, just getting it right off their hard drive. So, yeah, th- it's it's not a good game. Um, it's 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 yes. People were saying it's a Game Pass game. It is. And Smooth wants to act like he don't know what a Game Pass game is. You know exactly what a Game Pass game is. Game preview game. That's exactly what it is. Not Game Pass game. It's a game preview game. 
you know, smooth. Even Microsoft knows what Game Pass games are now. Did you see that tweet they put out? Preview. Yeah, so the all that tweet they put out, BG. Mm-hmm. About um, they spend most of the time looking for a game, yeah, or play, you know, than beating it. And it's like I said, I don't play my PlayStation often, but when I get on my PlayStation, <laughs> I sit down at a nice, fine restaurant. But what happens when people turn on their Xbox? They're in some grimy ass, third rate, rat infested Chinese buffet, looking for food. That's Jack's favorite spot. Hold on. Yes, sir. <laughs> Get that dirty rice. Like, bro, how? What is this? Consoles came out in November, December, January, February, March, April. We are six months in. They still, and Sony has released more first party games on Xbox than Xbox has released on Xbox. Mine can't smoke today. That's actually not true, but I what new, what new games have they put on there? Uh, Sony put one game on Xbox and then Microsoft put Gears Tactics, so it's one Gears one. Tactics is an old game. Nope, nope, nope. No. We had the discussion, and where you expose your fucking self. No, we're not doing that. In the chat, in the chat. Gears, Gears Tactics. When did Gears Tactics come out on PC? Came out in April of 2020. April 2020. And when did it come out on Xbox? November launch, November 2020. Yeah, so it's old. It came out before the console. Okay, okay. Tell me when, when, when's Microsoft going to put out, like, and let's be real, that game was not made with the Series X in mind. And if you're going to tell me it was, that's pretty bad. On the other hand, when are we going to see Microsoft, like, look, Sony's showing what the what the new system can do. When is Microsoft going to show us what this new system can do? A whole bunch of games running at 120 frames per second. I ain't got here shit. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, that you could have been playing seven years ago when you're complaining about that's for PC nerds. Yeah, that is. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny, BG, how when he was playing at welfare sub 720 at welfare frame rates, he goes, "Oh, only nerds care about that stuff." Seven years later, he playing what me and you, BG, were playing five years ago. Hey man, it's in, it's in now. 100, 120 frames, 60 frames is in now. It's cool now. How do you like my sloppy seconds, Smooth? Oh, wow. nah, nope. Hey, you. Like I said, you know what I mean. I'm right now. I'm 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 feasting. I'm enjoying. I'm gaming more than I yeah. ever. Yo, and me me and BG me and BG passed that shit around. Ran train four or five six times. Yeah, I sit there playing fucking six years, six years, six years later. We we're like, here you go, Smooth, and you you wiping it up. Oh no. He's an ally. Oh no. Like it's the best thing oh, ever. Word. Hey, like I said, man, I like. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna be eating even more next week. So I got yeah, you, 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 yo, you eating what me and BG shout out yeah, five years ago. I don't care. See, y'all did that shit as desktop, desktop dwellers. I'm doing this shit. Desktop. Did you call us twats? You call us desktops? Like you know, what? You know, it's that's funny. That's it's funny he calls us desktop dwellers. How many miners you buy this year, Smooth? Say what? How many monitors you buy this year? Those monitors are from my Xbox. Exactly. Wow. And where do you, and where do you play your Xbox at? At a desk, you desktop dweller. See, the, the hypocrisy here is, is ridiculous. Everything you've ever complained about the last five, seven years, you started doing. But I've done it on the Xbox. I could never fall as low as you guys. <laughs> no, no, you're worse. You you literally waited five to seven years to play what you could have done five to seven years ago. You shit on it, and then when Microsoft pooped it out and put a Microsoft sticker, yo, you know how Jack always says that Nintendo fans will eat, will play anything Microsoft shits out. I mean, Nintendo shits out. No, it's the opposite. 
whatever Microsoft mm. shits out, Microsoft dudes will eat it up. Y'all ready to talk about Returnal? Go for it's it. It's okay. It's okay, Smooth. You can have some smoke for Returnal. It's your turn to get back. All right. So Returnal dropped this dropped this Friday. Uh, currently, it's sitting at an 86 on Metacritic, which Smooth's call, Smooth calls it fraudulent, paid off. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's all a facade. It's fake. It's paid off. It's all that stuff, right? Um, whatever he says. So, uh, and, you know, like you said, it's gotten good reviews. There are reports of people encountering bugs, you know, game crashing, uh, not being able to progress in the game, uh, being locked in because the doors won't open. Um, and I think most people have said it has to do with the DLC suits or you're encountering it, those bugs and glitches more uh, when you wear the DLC suit. I don't know if it's only when you wear that, but it, it definitely seems to be when you uh, wear it, uh, you get those bugs more often. Um, who wants to, Jack, you want to give your opinion on the game so far? Um, playing Returnal right now. I got a love and hate relationship with this game currently, you know what I mean? Uh, definitely love a lot about the game. Gameplay, it's great. Visuals, good. Serviceable, great, whatever you want to call it. Story ain't really there, you know what I mean? It's kind of cryptic with the story. But um, I the only problem I really got with this game, to be honest, I'm on the third biome right now. The biggest issue with this game is definitely the bugs, glitches, and crashes. Now, I experienced most of these crashes, bugs, and glitches with the um the alternate costumes and shit. Like, you'll pick up an item. The biggest glitches I done ran into so far, you'll pick up an item, and it don't recognize you pick up the item, and the door won't open. And you can't, you can't goddamn transport out of the room, shit like that. You had to restart the cycle. That happened to me about five times. Um... Game or, did it? Did it? Did all of them happen when you had the alternate outfit on, or also when you had no, the no. default? Well, I started with the alternate outfit. The first five or six crashes with the alternate outfit, and then I had two more bugs when I switched back to the normal outfit. I thought mm. I, I was getting them crashes. I switched back to the normal outfit, and then the very first gate you got to go through, it wasn't open. I had to restart the game again. 